0: When we were talking a few minutes ago, I was thinking to myself that back in 1979, 80, and 81, I'm working and inflation is sky high. Jimmy Carter's president of the United States. Jimmy Carter loses. He's a one-term president, and um, he... Like uh, George Bush, forty-one, is a one-term president. But Reagan comes in, wins two terms. And Reagan asks us a very simple question: Are you better off today than you were four years ago? And everybody said no. Carter got slaughtered because we had hyperinflation. Now we're going to talk about zero and negative interest rates.
1: Yeah, the the strange world of negative interest rates.
0: But one of the things I think is really important: to, nobody, nobody in business today, nobody in business today has experienced this.
1: I nobody alive has experienced this like it's a it's a it's a it's a point of of intense discussion everywhere you go central banks to big business to financial firms everybody's questioning what what does the future hold in a in a system that has negative interest rates on this government bonds and you know you have um place in the um, some place in northern europe where they had they have uh mortgage loans that are technically negative interest so you're paying a you know less than your total principal payment because the interest rates are so low. It's just a strange strange situation and nobody quite knows exactly what the long-term impact of it's going to be.
0: When the housing bubble was going on and we we've seen the movie The Big Short. We've watched it because we understand it, but I'm going to say a word because it always described how I would just desc- I did seminars back then and then people would ask about, you know, mortgages. I mean, it was just that was the thing. Yeah. It, it, and I I I would people would say, "Well, how does it work?" and I would say, "I don't know. Here's what I do know." This is exactly how I would say it. You have people who make shit. They in turn have shit for credit, and they don't have shit for their name. They don't have any money. They then want to go out and buy something they think is good shit. And so a contractor builds a house But they're building so many houses that on the surface it looks good. When you peel it back, a lot of it, it's the construction shit. (laughs) Then I'm going to lend you money. And the money that I have to lend is what is leveraged money? In other words, I have a dollar in my bank, but I'm lending 10, 20, 30 dollars on that dollar, which is a shitty loan ratio. Now, what happens is when the economy turns to shit, and the people who are on the bottom of the barrel, well, we know that shit flows downhill, therefore they get laid off first, and that's always been that way. So now the people who thought their shit didn't stink, now they don't have shit for jobs or shit for money, which means those shitty mortgages aren't going to get paid. Now, I know that as a bank that I've got to lay off my bets. So in the past, I would underwrite my loans and the loans that are good good payers. That's good shit. I'm keeping my good shit. All my bad shit, what I do is I put it in a box. I take the box and I wrap a really pretty. I tape it up. You really don't know what's in it. And and I address it to AAA. Okay. I address it to AAA from me, the bank. I put a I put a really nice wrapping paper on it, a nice bow on it, and I put it on the shelf. And I say, this is good shit. And then I want you to buy it. In fact, what I want you to buy because it's such it's such a magic, it's an amazing. You're going to shit yourself when you see what a great thing this is. What we have is we have these tranches. Whoever thought of what's a tranche is French. It's French for, you know, a silo is really what it is. We have these tranches. Always use fancy French for words or Italian words or some other kind of, some other word to make it sound like it's more important than it is. We have these, these tranches and it's all collateralized. Okay. It's, they're collateralized negations. Well, who
1: wouldn't invest in something that has collateral behind
0: it? Well, and yeah, <laughs> I mean, so it's, a, uh, it's, I don't need has to insure collateral. against it. Has collateral? It's risk free then. Because well, mo- <laughs> nobody loses money in real estate. Mortgages don't go belly up. I mean, no, never. No, never. And so what happens is. It's literally now what happens is down the bottom of the shit pile, some key log of turd causes a few turds to come down. All before you know it, you have a shit storm. And that's what we have is a perfect shit storm. Now, I've always, I used to use the word shit throughout because everybody would start to laugh at this thing. I'd have 20, 30, 40 people in a room, 50 people, and everybody starts... At the beginning, it was like, oh, then they started to giggle. Then it became a nervous giggle. Then at the very end, when I explained it, people were like, what the hell's going on? I said, "You got, everybody's gotten taken. Here's the worst thing about it. The people who bought a lot of your this shit, they bought it in pensions and in 401ks. And your advisors, agents, bankers, brokers, and dealers didn't know what the hell they were doing. So they sold it to you by way of mutual funds. So you not only got screwed on your mortgage, you not only were foreclosed on, but the money you were invested lost a ton of money. Sure. Okay, so it was, it was really this simple. They lent money to people who never should have bought homes in the first place.
1: Or at the very least, they should have paid such a large down payment that there would have been equity left after the price depression.
0: And the second thing—that's exactly right. Which the is second how it
1: always used to be. If you weren't
0: creditworthy, it's like, "Ah, eh, we're going to take more of a risk on Absolutely. you. Absolutely,
1: we're not going to give you a ninety percent mortgage. We're going to give you a seventy percent mortgage. You have to come up with more."
0: And you had bank officers that would check on homes because banks used to retain the retention of mortgages. They would retain them. People would look. You would know. You know, bankers went to church. Bankers used to know the neighborhood, and they'd know. Oh, yeah, the McGillicuddy family—they're having a divorce. You start keeping an eye on things.
1: Yeah, it's just good due diligence.
0: It's good due diligence, not just beforehand, but during which how can we work with you the whole nine yards ongoing due diligence. So what happened is the whole country, because everything now is based upon numbers, everything is based upon numbers. And this is going to make sense in just a minute when we're talking about negative interest rates, because everything is based upon numbers, what happens? Well, what what happens is you you can you don't have discretion. Now, years ago, back in the nineteen eighties, early eighties, I could go into Landmark Bank. I don't remember the guy's name. He was there forever, and I'd walk in and say, "Hey, Bob, and Hey, Paul, what's going on? What, what, are, you, what are you doing now?" Well, I am going to buy another house. Where are the financials, it was fine. I signed blank paperwork. He'd fill it up, and I I would buy homes that were at the end of development in a housing development. I bought Pulte homes. I bought Suarez homes. And I basically got in, rented and flipped them. I made a few bucks. I did pretty good. Look at the property records. it that was a good little deal. You can't do that anymore, see? No, not at all. And so by taking, I mean, when most, banks don't. Most
1: local banks don't, they just, they purely originate. They don't retain anything. That's just, it.
0: That's exactly the point. They are loan originators taking their cuts, so they're making a commission. If you're making a commission, you don't, you don't retain it. You don't care. So when you don't have skin in the game, you're going you're gonna to make whatever you're going to make. And so now apply that to what's going on in negative interest rates. We never saw that before in the history of mortgage lending. I mean, it's just somebody figured out, we know from the big short who it was, you know, they figured out how to make bonds sexy. They figured out how to make mortgages sexy. They figured out how to sell everyday people, strippers down in Miami who had four or five homes that were upside down so negative, you know, their credit will never be repaired anytime Polls, the poles will wear out before they can dance enough to get back on square one. So nobody knew what was ha- All you had to do, though, is look at the fundamentals. And that's the thing, going back to Jimmy Carter and hyperinflation, you had to look at the fundamentals. Now, back then, you had a, a guy who was an Iranian economist who said, this is what the future is going to be. And I keep forgetting to look up his name. But he said, inflation is here to stay. This, this is the norm, et cetera, et cetera. And he would talk about the German Inflation rate after World War One and everything else, and he predicted you know the the nation would be belly up well, an,
1: and to be to be completely fair I mean that's it's perfectly logical yeah because in a situation where go, the governments of the world are just constantly printing money and there's no legitimate hope for any you know repayment of these funds and then you get to a point where you know central banks are lending money to this to, to the treasuries so now they're printing money and they're buying their own bonds and it's just this weird situation that kind of just seems like the logical explanation for where this is going is you know some moderate amount of, uh, some steeper amount of inflation due to what they're doing, but that's not what we're seeing as a...
0: No, and and back then it made perfect sense, but what I've said back then, I say, this can't continue because the pain is too great people won't accept it. Something will break.
1: No, people, you know, what what was inflation back then?
0: Well, there was one month when I got 21.5% on my money market account. I think the first house I bought, 30-year mortgage, was 16.5%. The inflation was, you know, I think we had the highest inflation was eleven and a half percent a year. Um, yeah, I would
1: say that's a little steep. Yeah, we it was, something. Was
0: tough. I mean, and that was following a ten year, and then the third year was a ten year. It was, it was rough.
1: But at the same time, you know, you can you can easily see people stomaching between you know five, six, seven percent. You know, things would shift and the economy would just kind of work. But you you could you could easily see that happening at a, a stable, controllable rate, right? Oh yeah. But instead, we're going the other way.
0: So the, I think the issue we have to do is, and, and I don't think this is something that is going to be talked about on the mainstream media, and when I say mainstream, I'm not just talking about ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN, Fox, I'm talking about uh, MSNBC, I'm talking about Fox Business, I'm talking about Bloomberg. I think a lot of these people, they can say all they want academically, but they don't know.
1: I don't think anybody does, honestly. No, nobody does. I think I think everybody's kind of scratching their head, even at the Fed, they're just sitting around like... We think this is where it's going. I mean, the Europeans are kind of leading the charge as far as that goes. They've had negative negative um, national bonds over there for what four or five years now, mm-hmm. and it's it's still just wacky.
0: So, why would you put money with any institution, no matter who it is, at a negative interest rate? And the only thing that I can come up with right now, right now, uh, there's two two things. One is we anticipate economic collapse and deflation. Okay, or we don't trust our governments and it's like the days of the Wild West. I put my money at the bank. I have to pay for it because they have to have a. It's 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 a Jesse James. It, I don't. <laughs> I, I can't, What well, going to bury it in my backyard. Um, yeah. It's like, you yeah, have
1: the only reason you would buy a negative interest rate bond or, or why, why would you, what would be the reasons for it? Cause I, I wouldn't, I mean, it doesn't make any sense to me. I, why would you buy something that costs you money to store? And it, what that kind of tells me is that the, the governments have a level of power to basically say that you trust us more than them. Right. Well,
0: the only reason to wait, the only way,
1: because it, it it's, it's not the other way around. I mean, you, you're, you're paying them to hold your money. So, so if that's the case, what's what's the what's the street risk? I well,
0: the street risk I think is is deflation. I think that's that's what everybody I think is thinking about because okay. So I give you. We were talking about this before. How can you have in some countries junk bonds paying a negative interest rate? Okay, which and what that means is it's a bond rated lower than triple B. And so triple B rated bonds. And then I want you to tell everybody what triple B rated bonds are. Then, so I I got double B rated or lower bonds and they're paying a negative interest rate. What does that mean? i give you a thousand dollars and after X length of years, I'm going to get back less than a thousand dollars. I get back 950 or 900, whatever it is. Now, why would I do that? Because I think money's going to be worth less than what I'm going to get back.
1: Yeah, I mean, you'd you'd have to evaluate it and say that there are other investment vehicles are l- more likely to give me a worse return than this negative return.
0: So I ha- I have cash. Cash is a place you cash is something you have when you are getting ready to deploy it or when you don't have an investment that's worth making. So if I'm a company, if I'm a company, I don't I don't think my stock is worth buying back. So I'm already overvalued. So I'm not going to do stock buyback. And if I'm going to invest in negative bonds, any kind of a negative interest rate, what I'm saying is that I don't see anything out there that is worth the risk. I think it's going to go down in value dramatically. So I'd rather get a negative interest. Um I mean, I just can't even keep it in cash. Yeah. I, I don't, it's it's, it's just, it's the, it's the damnedest thing in the world. I don't know that anybody knows what's going on.
1: Well, I, you know, I I just recalled that there is a, I saw a story about two weeks ago that there was another bank in Europe makes like single, single digit numbers of banks, but it's an increasing phenomenon where banks in Europe are charging their wealthy clients mm-hmm. somewhere in the order of 25 or 30 basis points to hold cash over like a million, a million euros.
0: Worldwide, that that what you just you described and bonds equals 14.5 trillion dollars of negative debt yield 14.5 trillion dollars of negative debt yield. In a thirty year German, see the thing that the thing that concerns me is I get that for maybe two, three years or five years. Yeah. Thirty. That yeah, sets exactly. a precedent of un people that buy bonds have more money than people that buy stocks. It's always been that way. Yeah. Yeah. And people who buy municipal bonds have more money than people that buy bonds or stocks. It's always been that way. It doesn't mean that people that are wealthy don't buy stocks. It's just that's the way that works.
1: I, I think this is a consequence of a couple of things. One, I think it's it's monetary policy in general where you have stimulus programs all over the place that have been able to cleverly shelter stimulus so that balance sheets look good, but you can't technically spend it, Um, you know, with central banks and and other large institutions due to increased capital reserve requirements and things like that. Mm -hmm. So because of that, you have a lot less actual liquidity out there, but you have to have a lot more storage of said cash. Makes sense. At the same time, I think this is also a consequence of, of, of giant mega corporate consolidation because there's less, places to put this money because you know for example in the united states we talked about this the other day there's there's really what three big um uh drug stores anymore in the entire country? CVS, Walgreens, and what's the other one? Right Aid. Right Aid. I mean, you only have three, and and they're closing up. And in- yeah, and then Walgreens is closing stores, but that's beside the point. So does
0: CVS five
1: hundred? both anyways. But I mean, that's just one example. Um, you know, Amazon, of course, is sucking up more and more consumer product purchases and all of these things. And obviously, you know the the everybody always goes and thinks about you know either the the effect on the big end or the low end, but the middle band is what's actually. I think having a more profound effect on the economy as more and more wealth is concentrated at the top, and there's less to invest in. You know, the 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 P/E ratio on barely profitable companies can only go so high before you know it, it becomes an illogical investment to buy more shares of Amazon with your stashed away billions or with your you know hundreds of billions in or or tens of billions in pension fund money and stuff, right? Right. So at a certain point, you have to make the decision of what are you gonna what are you gonna do with this? And that you know, like you said, I mean big institutional buyers are the buyers of bonds, generally speaking. It's it's pension funds, it's the super wealthy, and, and it's other nations. You have so much cash sitting around out there. Nobody really, it doesn't seem like anybody knows what to do with it. There's, well, there's just an immense amount of, there's an immense glut of, of cash, lack of investment opportunity, and a, honestly, I mean, kind of, as I'm just kind of working out in my head because, you know, we've, we've talked about this probably a dozen times and every time we, we talk about it, it, it just kind of baffles me as far as the cause is always kind of seem to make out they they always end up being around the same thing in my head but i think this is the first time i've kind of gotten clarity around i think what this is is this is kind of like a pre-warning shock before hyperinflation it's like there's so much money out there at some point it has to get deployed and what happens when it gets deployed you'll have to realize the inflation because you won't be able to hide it anymore oh yeah the shock to the system be unbelievable but i mean does that make sense (laughs) it does it seems like you know it's it's almost like you have this you have the the um you have the Central banks all over the world, they're like trying to hold a dam up, you know, and they're doing all these weird maneuvers to prevent a flood of cash that would cause, you know, just a, I mean, everybody knows what hyperinflation does to a global economy. You know, everybody goes out and spends because it's worth, it's it's never going to be worth more than it is right now. And negative inflation does the opposite, right? You know, theoretically, if you spend it today, it might be worth more tomorrow. Why would you spend it? It's For those, weird. Yeah.
0: For those who are listening, and real quickly, one of the things that we do, we, we're not talking on the podcast and giving you our quantitative analysis. We're not going to talk about running scenarios and, and the, the statistical probabilities. We try to put this in plain language. Yeah, so just what are the
1: consequences is, of certain decisions? Yeah. I
0: mean, we're not, that, that's one of the things that, you know, there's a lot of podcasts, there's a lot of people, a lot of talking heads that, that try to give you all the, you know, the, we're not we're not going to do the, the econ Four hundred five breakdown with with numbers not going to do it. No, there's, no there's no point. No, what we want to do is is facilitate a water cooler, a kitchen table. You're on the couch with your spouse. You need to have this conversation because. When somebody like us, and we say we've got clarity on what to do and you need to move, you're going to need to move. So our clients are are prepped and ready to go with this stuff. One of the things though, that is not being talked about, I've only saw one brief, just a paragraph. You see, there's a lot of, there's a lot of statutory requirements for pensions out there. And there's both statutory in terms of legislation, as well as um, like restrictions on what a pension can get into either by the covenants of the pension itself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so some of these places they've got to have 30 40% in bonds um, so how are you going to do that yeah, well when- that's, that's
1: something we've talked about before is you know how do you get yield out of a out of a pension fund when how do, you, how do you meet certain yield requirements when you're not funding them properly, and you have this requirement for bonds built into it? Your your performance on you know stock and alternative investments has to be so great that a lot of these pension managers make extremely risky bets, and then they just instead of taking the the road most well known, they take the unknown road, and they get they get hammered a lot, and then they you know ultimately the pensions have to pay for it. It's just a you know so it's, a, it's a real it always becomes a mess because they get involved in things you know they give money to people that. Like Bernie Madoff and stuff like that, where they don't do their due diligence because, hey, you know it's, it's paying a good good rate, and they didn't take the risk into account. And it was just overly risky for the type of um, fund that they have because they have to beat what is what we're looking at here is you know single digit or negative interest rates on bonds, and like you just said, they're required to have a huge percentage of them. Yeah, I mean. If you think about it in the broad scheme of things if you have a situation of of hyperinflation and you're trying to prevent it which is which is what it seems like the central banks it's like their worst fear right Mhm. Like no, nobody wants hyperinflation. It's just bad. But at the same time they've done all the things that would stimulate that, right? I mean, immense amounts of printing, low interest rates, so there's no there's no consumption of the cash by the central banks or, you know, there's just keep keep things as stable as possible because if you think about it, um we we've talked about how, you know, cutting interest rates recently does nothing but give a give a little bit of a, uh, a boost to the corporate bond market because a lot of companies borrowed during the recession and they can't they're they're legitimately on edge. You mentioned a minute ago that about um, bonds and anyways you, you can go online and look at the ratings scale for bonds. It's overly complicated and it's just kind of silly because nerds but um when you look at it there's basically 50% and below and then 50% and above the scale you have um everything below the 50% line is junk and everything above is what they consider investment grade or not junk and triple B is the lowest section on the above the waterline so it's yeah,
0: triple B is investment it's,
1: grade it's, but that is it's the your... lowest investment grade Oof. but you know like a pension or something can't invest in junk bonds i mean that's just you know i mean some may be able to but most that's outside of Their risk risk
0: tolerance. And And yet in Europe, you have some of their junk bonds that are paying negative interest. Yeah, that's wild.
1: I mean, but you know, so you're saying that. You have you have all these. Um, we, we determined that the the interest rate cut recently is because it's something like forty nine percent of all outstanding corporate bonds are triple B. They're literally sitting at the waterline. They're barely investment grade.
0: So just before we go any further, for everybody listening who goes okay, I don't get it. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to think of you have a stick of dynamite. and You have all this dynamite. I mean, you got tons of dynamite, and it's they're all the fuses are burning. And there's a storm coming. Now, if the storm brings rain, it'll put out most of those sticks of dynamite. But if a windstorm ahead of it, it's going to facilitate that dynamite, those fuses, and going to blow up before the rain comes. That's exactly what we are looking at with basically 50% of index-based bond funds sitting with junk one step above junk when it blows it's going to be ugly
1: yeah so you have a strange situation where you have when you have that many that many corporate bonds sitting literally at the bottom of the barrel for investment grades you know Anybody with a brain looks can look at that and tell you that one, there's some manipulation going on. Like nobody wants to admit that they're valued lower than that, but you know it would create issues to do so. So they just rate it at the bottom of the range, right? Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, so, so so you know, you see the interest rate cut as kind of a lifeline to some of these companies, I guess, to say, hey, you know, rising interest rates is going to kill you guys, and you're going to default in these bonds, or or you're going to have you know bad repayment schemes, or you know. How however, the, whatever the terms of these bonds are, and it could cause a just a crazy situation in the bond market. But then at the same time, how does that affect pension funds that, as everybody knows, are dramatically underfunded nationwide?
0: Mm. W- one inflation- pension fund that's not is the Tampa Police Department, which was folk, the uh, Tampa Fire and Police Pension Fund is not underfunded. They have $2 billion, and, and they don't do any alternatives, and they've been plugging along pretty good with the same investment guy or team for 45 years, which I kind of find that a little bit disheartening because they're you should always have a bench but you know well they're doing their job they're doing their job that's fine
1: and but you know if you think about it probably the worst case scenario for pensions is of course any type of significant inflation because especially if you're underfunded because you have cost of living adjustments you have to make if you have inflation if you're already underfunded what are you going to do that's when you need government bailouts well we all know the government doesn't have what 80 trillion dollars to back up these pension funds that are funded by now which is
0: huge The, the, the number are everybody talks about underfunding pensions, but they're, they're, my calculations are always five and six times higher than everybody else's. And but but the truth is, I've been right. Every time, just give it five years and I'm right. Everybody comes, well, yeah, we really were way off on that. Yeah, no kidding. You'd-
1: but I mean, even if you take a lowball number like $50 trillion no. underfunded, that's that's way lowball. But let's just say that the government can't print $50 trillion to bail out pensions if you have inflation and these pensions need cash to pay out pension recipients. So the only thing they can do is print more money, which then exacerbates the problem in the first place. So you know the problem with, with hyperinflation always becomes you literally do everything you can to avoid it because it becomes a never-ending cycle that eats the governments that created said cycle. And, you know, there's no government that has ever survived a hyperinflation um, quandary. I mean, it's, it's literally a sinkhole once, or it's a black hole. Once you dip into it, you know, literally it consumes the nation because it just, it literally throws everything into, into you know, question mark. Every, everybody goes off to fend for themselves. So they're in a situation now where they've created negative interest rates. Well, I do have a how, I do have, the thing is just it's it's just a quandary. Well, in my I do head. have a reason
0: for it. I, I I have a very logical
1: Well, I think that's the reason. I think the reason is is total is is Clever way to to classify and avoid any type of rapid inflation. That that would be my take on it. I, I don't. What's yours? I, I have
0: a different one. I'm going. I'm going to give you some statistics, and I'm going to tell you the reason why I have my different idea. First off, the average yield on an investment grade bond in euros, okay, E U R O S, the European Union or the euro. The average yield, average yield now takes the high, the low, the mean. That's everything. Okay. For an investment grade bond in euros, is four basis points. <laughs>
1: So the, the cost, lowest ever the cost of a extremely <laughs> inexpensive S&P 500 index fund.
0: Well, there's that for, for and I say that and I, and I giggle because here's the thing. Nobody is Nobody's going to say what I just I'm going to say there's no juice for the dealers in bonds. No, that no, helps no. to explain why there's a negative yield because they got to get paid to put the, thing, the deal together. That's one. Okay.
1: Yeah. So you're paying even more yeah. for so, a bond that doesn't pay you anything.
0: Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, by the time they take their, their, their VIG out of it, they're down to four basis points. That's so, what I'm saying. It, it's hard to get excited
1: about buying something when you have to pay somebody to take it.
0: So when it comes to the U.S., just a few weeks ago, 10-year treasuries were at one73 Okay. And a little bit just a couple of weeks before that they were at two percent, but the lowest it's ever been is one point three two and it looks like we're rapidly heading to that point so here's when you have all that junk corporate bond stuff out there if if rates went up at all, refinancing that corporate debt means you're you can't do it we, we have a mass casualty of corporations okay. So it's not just the bonds that can't be paid, but it's also corporations that don't have the money to run operations. What...
1: In a situation where more companies are, by stock price, overvalued. Uber, priced, Lyft, price WeWork. Let's just go through well, all of them. it's not just them. that. It's it's, it's mid cap. Tons of mid cap companies are overvalued because it's you know like I said earlier, there's just right. a lack of places to stick money in in quality companies. Well,
0: it, money's cheap. We borrow, but then we were stupid with our money. Now exactly. there are some companies that borrowed and they they stockpiled it and they've got a ton of cash.
1: Some others yeah. have spent it like crazy. Well, Apple, Apple has been. Apple would be a good example because like their net cash is just, with it's, their net. Makes Cash, Makes no sense. Their net cash a few years ago was nearly $300 billion. They, bought, they borrowed money because of taxes and stuff. Um, they borrowed money in the U.S. because most of their, ta- most of their cash was overseas. I think they, what, it was $100 billion in bonds, right? Yep. At really low interest rates. Mm-hmm. And um, they then borrowed money to pay dividends, one-time dividends, right? which is the stupidest thing ever.
0: Well, that was Carl Icahn. A couple other people that had gotten some positions were screaming like, holy, holy devil.
1: But it's just stupid because... The company should have should have just said, okay, we're going to institute a dividend, and they're going to pay a continuing dividend. Absolutely, at a fixed rate that is based on some calculation, like every other smart company does. If, right. if they truly wanted to turn themselves into a, you know,
0: money making distributing, yeah. And I and that's that's Tim Cook. I'm not going to. You, you I have better. no use for Tim Cook. Absolutely no use. For just, that.
1: So so their situation is a good example of one. It's like why.
0: And then you have what Amazon. You was amazon Amazon and Microsoft been pounding cash away like crazy? Oh, Google has too. Google
1: has more net cash than Apple does now. But other companies like Cisco. Cisco is, has a. a Palacious amount of cash as well. Okay, um, you know, and, and Cisco is not a company that is typically referred to as a you know big tech leader or anything. They just apparently have good profit margins and they save.
0: So now, when you go to who owns our U.S. government debt, the biggest holder of U.S. government debt is the U.S. government. I mean, it's just a, it's well, a Ponzi scheme. The biggest holder is the, is the Federal Reserve. It's technically private bankers, but yeah,
1: I mean, it's it's a pseudo as they call it a pseudo government run organization with independent but it has oversight it's
0: weird right so my brother runs treasury my other brother runs the federal reserve okay so whatever um let's not get into the conspiracy stuff what we do know though well there's no conspiracy it's just that's just the reality of it's it's Yep.
1: It's a separate institution, so the government, you know, one hand pats the other. It's just... It's
0: whatever. been that way since day one and we founded the country. But here's the thing. China, I'm just rounding numbers up. So t- China has currently, and they've been reducing it. They've got about $2 trillion, $1.5 trillion. I know that's a big spread, but I'm just, you know, throwing broad numbers out of, of U.S. debt.
1: Now, here's what... They've been selling off.
0: They've been selling off.
1: Huge. Okay. They, it looks like for every dollar they sell in U.S. dollar, U.S. treasuries, they've been buying
0: gold. Yeah. Yep. Which, if you want, that's one of the reasons why gold is... Going right up, you know. The gold rush is going to have a good year this year because gold's going up. Yeah, I mean,
1: your Russia, China, India, and a few other countries have been buying gold like crazy. So yeah.
0: So if I'm, let's say I'm president of the United States, and I'm looking at a situation where um, we could have, we just got a mess. Well, first off, I would do a strategic default. I would tell China to go stick it up there. You know what? We're not paying bonds anymore. We'll pay them. We'll, we'll pay them someday. Maybe we'll we'll pay you when we'll, just when we get paid back by all the European countries. For the debt they owe us on World War II, we'll pay you back in the same time frame. Go pound salt. Okay, If you're going to have a real trade war, that's one of those things you do. It's well, called a strategic def- default.
1: Yeah, and, and that's why China is deleveraging that, that point like of leverage. Crazy. Okay, because But they're smart enough to not cause a run. Right. They've been just slowly knocking off $100 billion, $100 billion, just chunk, 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 yep. chunk.
0: Now, so if you're going to do it, you better do it quickly. Here's the other thing. What's the other place to default? Not to the U.S. consumer. No, to the to
1: the treasury or to the uh, Federal Reserve. To yourself, yeah. But at the same time, why would you need to default? You can just give yourself a special deal.
0: Well, that's my point is you clean it off. Okay, we're done. So what what you do is you eliminate all the federal debt like crazy, right? If you said the shock would be unbelievable, people would be panicked, there would be blood in the streets. And once everybody realized uh, the government isn't paying out as much money as they had been paying out, what you would get is a rush. Hey, we got money to do things and there's a lot of different things you could then start to do to free up the cash that sit on the sidelines because we can lower tax rates, you can even further than what they are. You can provide just massive amount of incentives for a whole bunch of different things. you free freed up cash flow. And, you know, it could be a carrot and stick. You know, we strategically default. We've got trillions of dollars now. Cush, you juice the economy and you basically say, okay, the U.S. dollar is cut in half. Everything is, we have deflation, cut it all in half. We'll come back, but it's, everything's half. The shock wave would be huge, but everything would adjust. But it would adjust and you wouldn't, you know, right. it's, it's, there's two ways in which you pay off debt easily. One is you eliminate your debt by not paying. I'm not paying so I'm done. The other is to have massive inflation. And if you have massive inflation, well, the inflation takes care of debt. And that's the argument that I made when I was in Hawaii to that gal from the Federal Reserve. We were at the convention and it was like, Bill Clinton stopped selling 30-year notes and started selling 10-year. Two years into the next administration, whoever becomes president of the United States is screwed. And geez, who did that happen to be? It happened to be Bush 43. What happened on September 11th, 2001? Ta-ta-da. I'm not going to make a conspiracy, but the timing was really good on that because, you know, know, everybody freaked out. The stock market crapped out. All these bonds came due. Everybody went, ran to the treasuries. It was, you know, fear of fear of uh, the world ending. Chicken little. So, you know, you start, you get really conspiratorial on this stuff. But, you know, one of the things that worldwide, if you have, you know, your, your worldwide money managers, if you say, you know, if we just do a complete reset, that old reset button that they have, okay, we're going to readjust currencies worldwide. Why did Muammar Gaddafi get taken out? It wasn't taken out for any other reason. He was trying to have his own currency and, and they were pumping oil. I mean, we all know well, how that and, works. Well,
1: his, his thing specifically was he was doing, he was, he was wanting to set up a coalition of, of Arab countries that would sell oil, not on, not through the petrodollar. Ta-da. And of course, anybody that knows their American economics knows that a huge portion of American GDP is purely based on other people around the world spending our money and trading our money around through our financial institutions to buy and sell things that we never touch.
0: And what's happening with Iran and China coming up?
1: Same thing. They're they're doing backroom deals to buy oil, and it's not being done. What are the Russians doing? Yeah, the Russians have been buying, have been selling oil to the Chinese for years now in rubles or 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 maybe gold. I don't remember what their deal was.
0: The timing of that corresponds to when we started having problems with the Russians and accusing them of interfering in elections and everything else. Of course, yeah. The timing is spot on. Yeah. So people, when you when you listen to things like these talking heads that don't spend any time on things, you get these and and. Alex Jones is he's like the National Enquirer, it's like a broken clock Broken clock a right twice a day. Like them, dislike them. I don't care. But the point is, you get you get the AOCs on on one side. You get the other people on the other side, and nobody you know they're screaming it. It's just headlines. Don't you? This is not a topic for headlines. I think we can get this thing down eventually, pretty quickly into a real fundamental concept. I think you and I have a couple of con. We've talked about this for hours and hours and hours. And I thought this would be a good podcast to get up. Just you know, us shooting a. Using, yeah, my, think, using my phrase from before she's shooting the shit that uh, you know but but something's something's wrong yeah i think fundamentally there's just there's something weird going on and
1: everybody's trying to control it because there's, you know, there's really only two alternatives to monetary policy when it goes bad. Either you have deflation or you have, you have hi- hyperinflation or, or, or high inflation. And and lately
0: we've had Goldilocks.
1: And yeah, and and that's the key is you know the the central banker's goal is to make sure everything kind of stays within the stable range so nobody gets scared. And you know everybody un- understands hyperinflation, but what you have is you have lurking over the horizon this possibility of, of deflation, and that can also be scary if you think think about it not that it's too not that it's any more complicated it's just the reverse of hyperinflation if you have a thing if you, if, if 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 we're talking about candy bars here my candy bar is going to be worth less tomorrow than it is today one, you might wait to buy something to buy it tomorrow, right? If you have hyperinflation, yep, this will be cheaper. But at the same time, your money now is worth less. So I don't know. You might need to buy it now. So you're always making these value judgments of, I probably should spend my money now or, or diversify it into other assets. But well, at the, the same th- time, if you have your candy bar, you might wait to buy it because your money is going up in value. Right, so you hold on to your money and you don't buy the thing, which then reduces economic output as people hold on to cash. So it's literally the total opposite. You're you're sitting around waiting for waiting for things to cool down, and who knows if you have twenty percent deflation, your dollar's worth a dollar twenty now. That seems like you just got free money. So it's it's a, nobody wants to go into those zones. So when you touch when you t- even though we're worst case scenario right now, we're we're looking at a small amount of deflation as far as these negative interest rates go. It doesn't seem. It's just it's very confusing because no nobody nobody alive has really seen anything like this except an extremely isolated incidents
0: yeah and and nobody alive has seen this because we have to go back to World War one and everybody's dead even then most of World War one was hyperinflation right but but you had well that's it again good point but, but it's just this is yeah. it's weird it is it is weird it, it's it's a mind screw is what it is it's a total... see it, and you can tell the way people talk about it,
1: even in the Federal Reserve notes and in uh, statements from from central banks in Europe and stuff, even they are having a hard time trying to be able to explain, like, why is this even happening and how do we deal with it?
0: Now, I'm and- not here to promote this man in any way, shape, or form, because I will be honest, I've been incredibly disappointed in his performance in the White House. But what is going on sort of makes Trump look like he knows what he's talking about when he was losing his mind in the Federal Reserve race interest rates. And I never thought they were really raising all that much, but man, he lost his mind saying this is going to destroy the economy. It makes you wonder, uh, maybe, you know, and again, you know, you can't, for example, that girl AOC that won that congressional seat. I may not like her, but she won a, she beat a sitting congressman. She kicked his tail. Okay. Gavin Newsom may be an interesting bird in California. Jerry Brown may be an interesting bird. Ted Cruz may be an interesting bird. You know, there may be people I just you, you can't stand them, but they they accomplish some pretty powerful things. You need to sometimes sit back and 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 say, "Okay, maybe they know something." So with Trump, Trump's either a masterful, uh he's either controlled by the Russians, he's either whatever, you know, everybody's got something for him. But when it comes to this area, I've thought couple of times, maybe he knows what he's talking about here. I don't know. I just, maybe I, I think
1: just his natural inclination is that if you raise interest rates, less people will borrow theoretically yep. and the, and it is that growth, fundamental and economic growth will, will slow down. That's what he understands as, as a real estate person. I mean, you know, at the same time, it's like it affects interest rates going up, affect his personal loans as well. So, and, and interest you
0: know, rates are, are, cra- are, are literally falling and people are not buying more homes.
1: That's actually not true. Oh, did it go? That's did it true. kick up? Uh, it started to kick up again. Yeah. Okay, because I think the average is like three point three right now. It's very low.
0: Oh, no kidding. So it actually yeah. did kick. Okay, I didn't see that then.
1: But you have some major urban areas where it's it's cooling off. You well, know? there are you're, sometimes
0: you're, you know just because it's it's really a good deal is not the deal that I need, and that's a thing that a lot of people need to think about. Baby
1: well, boomers and and some areas, you know, you just have pent up demand and things sold, and that's it. I mean. You know, everything goes into cycles, like like New York, for example. As we all know, New York, Miami, and a few other places, their demand was primarily fueled by foreign investment because, you know... If you're not,
0: in Miami, if, Miami's gotten clobbered.
1: If you're from different, you know, foreign countries that have, you know, unstable political governments, even if you overpay for something, at least you have, you know, a, a decent asset in a major city that you, know, you could extract some money out of if you had to get away or, or you know, extract money out of your existing country, so...
0: One one of the things, and then if you don't mind, we'll just kind of wrap this thing up, I think, unless, you know, whatever else you got. But no, that's just,
1: just kind of all my thoughts. I mean, it's just, it's a quandary, I think, in general. It's just, it's, it's something that even the most brilliant minds in the world right now are very confused as to where things are going. And it's, and to be completely honest, it's one of the most interesting uh, mental exercises you can go through is to try and think of the downstream consequences of both ends of that stick.
0: I have like, no problem telling you, folks that are listening, the, the young man sitting across from me, um, his IQ is at the ninety nine point nine 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 point four, as is mine. And uh, one of the things I pride myself is trying to use common language to explain complex topics, and it's always been something I've worked my entire life at. But when I say to you, "We're struggling with this," <laughs> you better think about it. I'm, and I'll give you, I'll give you a classic, Here, something we talk about a lot. But I would not want to be an equity index annuity or life insurance holder right now. Oh, no. Nobody knows how these things work. I'm going to give you a quick I'm going to, not you, you get it, but I'm going to give everybody a quick uh, lesson on this. These things are nothing more than options contracts. Nobody understands that. So here's how an options contract works. Uh, in this case, you have the standard pours 500. We'll use that as an example. And so I take an option and I'm paying money that I can buy at X. And if it goes up to Y and I can make more on the purchase above what my premium payment is, I'm going to exercise my option. In other words, one person thinks it's going to go up, another person thinks it's going to go down, or the person who thinks it's, you know, they've, got, they've already got profits built in and they're going to make money. Okay, so not going to get into the whole options thing because... Inevitably, whenever we talk about options, you get these pinheads that come up and they go, oh, we want to talk about options. Okay. So it's an options contract. If, if, you're, if you're in the money, you're going, you're going to uh, exercise it. But now you have to protect your downside because they always say, you know, we offer so much interest rates. <laughs> Exactly. Where do you think that money goes? Well, in the past, it was always in the treasuries. So you're 70%, 80% in the treasuries, and you're playing with your 20% options. The rest of it's cash, and then you have your near-term cash, and you have your leverage. But that's how it worked, okay? That's the reason why they have such a low yield on the bottom side. Oh, you're always guaranteed to get 1% or 2% or 3%. It used to be 4 and 5%. But it was always based on treasuries. Based on treasuries. Now, you have to read these contracts, and a lot of them can adjust. It's called market value adjustment. They can lower that bottom rate. Now, on the top end, all these people, year after year after year, when the stock market's been averaging 14%, if you've got an annuity, which is an index, an equity index annuity, if it has a 10% cap and an 80% participation rate, so let's let's just use those two numbers, If the market is up 20%, 80% of that is 16%. But you're not getting the 16, you're not getting the 20. So you're not getting the market, you're not getting the, the, the 16 participation, you're getting whatever the cap is. If the cap is 10, you're getting 10. Yeah, exactly. So if the market kicks off at 10%, well, what's 80% of 10? That's eight. And the cap is 10. Well, you don't get the cap, you get the, you get the eight because you know you didn't go above that. Well, The problem is, in all these equity index annuities and all these uh, equity index life insurance policies, it doesn't include dividends. None of them. Because you don't own anything. Right, you don't own anything. So what happens is, a, it depends upon the year, but sometimes dividends historically can be anywhere from 20 to 30% of the value of, of the market gain. So you lose that right off the bat. Nobody understands that. Now your base of your annuity and you got treasuries are paying negative interest rates. How are you going to do that, son? How are you going to do that? And you are going to have a lot of people who are going to hate it. You're going to have because- this thing called adjustments. <laughs> And then they take money out, and they got these massive contingent deferred sales charges. And retirees buy these things, lock, stock, and barrel, because they're just they're just boomer drunks. I mean, it's just I don't know what else to call it. It's, it's boomer intoxication. It is. It's
1: it is. They 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 go they take them to a steak. They they go and do a get a bunch of them go to a steak dinner. Oh, we will give you a little dog and pony show. You know, spend ten fifteen thousand dollars on his. Nice meal, advertising, all this stuff, booze them up and sell them some sweet contracts and yep. make, you know, double your money.
0: There, There's a reason why more and more women are getting into the financial services industry is because women are easier to sell to men. Yep. It's all that sexy, uh, oh, hey, honey bunch, how you doing, blah, 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 let's have drinks, let's go golfing. Oh, she looks so good in her little skirt playing golf. These guys, old men are just old men. It's just the way it is. Yeah. Nobody, nobody's want to talk about it, but that's what's going on. Oh, some things literally never change. Some things never change. Well, anyways, negative interest rates, we're talking about it nonstop here in the office. We've run a bunch of hypothetical scenarios through our uh, our programs. We've uh, written some software on it. we we. <laughs> We have some ideas, but we don't know exactly what's going on. I, I just, I, I have, I have three or four strong scenarios. I, I, I don't know where the big picture is, unless there's no big picture. It's just chaos, and that could be the case. You know, sometimes. Uh Controlled chaos. It's controlled chaos. It's like the the um, CERN, you know? It's a matter and antimatter, you know? It's just Well, the reality The Hydrant Collider have proved, guess what? 50% is matter and 50% is antimatter and 50% is pattern and 50% is chaos. <laughs> That's yeah. literally what it came down to.
1: Yeah, the reality is it's there's a cause and effect going on and it's it's how it's being guided that's that, i think that's what everybody's trying to figure out where it's going what are the factors involved and, and how exactly do you mitigate any, any downside from from what actually
0: happens you know what i feel like i feel like dorothy I feel like dorothy in the, in the wizard of oz we're going down the yellow brick road <laughs> i just want to find who the wizard is controlling this stuff <laughs> i don't know you know who the wizard is i don't know That does it for today. Thanks for joining me. I'm Paul Truesdell with Fixed Cost Financial. You can reach us by phone by calling 212-433-2525 between 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. Eastern. Again, that's 212-433-2525. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or YouTube. But ideally, for links, notes, PDFs, videos, and more to this podcast, well, simply go directly to FixCostFinancial.com and click on the blog or podcast links. For quick reference, and this is easy to remember, simply type dots.fm. That's dots.fm. Isn't that cool? And you'll land right on our podcast page. Now visit Fixed Cost Financial, the home of Fixed Cost Investing, where it's better because it's simple and works. Break the mold and do it today. All rights reserved. Reproduction or use without written authorization prohibited without written authorization.